Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening, David. Yeah. How you doing? Uh, rested and ready. Oh. We were off A little R&R. Yeah. <laughs> That's what R&R stands for. Exactly. Always, always has. Uh, don't question it. Um, yeah, we were off last week, although I uploaded some content you from did. Comic-Con eventually. Like, had a lot of problems getting it up, and then I was getting r- reports that, like... No, not because I was drunk. Maybe the first night because I was drunk. <laughs> After that, I kept having problems because uh, I don't need to go into it. I had uh, I had to download some software to convert some stuff that oh okay uh, maybe uh, messed with the files a little bit. Anyway, uh, so those should all be up and downloadable now. I've downloaded them from iTunes. As have I. I think okay. they and and also uh, they're available on the website. So if for some reason I can't think why, but if for some reason you can't get it from iTunes. Uh, you can listen to it straight from yeah. the website. And um, it was a trial run. Like, um, we hadn't done that from Comic-Con before. Uh, and I think it went well. Although, I mean, I wish I had... I wish there was more of it. And I mm-hmm. think next year there probably will be more of it. Because I think it was a success. The, uh, the audio is a little a little uh, shaky at times. Yeah, um, that's the best. I mean, yeah, it's, you can't. it's loud everywhere. You've been there. Oh, yeah. It's loud everywhere. Whether you're on the convention, whether you're at a bar, whether yeah. you're just on the street, it is loud everywhere for five days. Yeah, there's only so much you can you can do with that, and uh, you know we can't lug this equipment that uh, you listeners were generous enough to pay for. Uh, <laughs> we can't again. Uh, we can't lug that all the way down there. So yeah, it's it's fine. How about you? Are you rested and, and, and ready? No, you also had a week off. I yes, I did, but I was I was groomsman in a wedding. Uh, uh, Blogger, occasional blogger for the show, uh, Josh Long, yeah. uh, got married to uh, Megan Witzke, who designed our very first uh, BP Live poster. And so uh, they were out in North Carolina, so I went and, and I was a groomsman in their wedding, and Jen uh, photographed the they wedding. They make a smart so, couple. Why do you say that? I'd like that turn of phrase. They make, well, they are smart. There's no question about it. But I'd, uh, I, do, I do like them as a couple. Well, that's good. I'm sure that they both listen to this, so uh, yeah. they'll be happy to hear that. Uh, congratulations, Josh and Megan. And congratulations, uh, yeah. At but that Josh Long. At the Josh uh, Josh Long. Oh, at the Josh Long. Not uh, yeah. I'm getting confused with uh, that Kevin Smith. Mm. At the Josh Long and at Megan Witzke. Yes, but I, she hasn't updated it in a while. But yes, that's where you can find her. So, so I'm not going to bother spelling her last name then, since she doesn't even. Yeah, or her first name. Her first name is not uh, normal either. Uh, <laughs> it's not what you think. It's yeah. got a little twist in the middle of it, like the crying game. <laughs> and that is in the middle, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, everyone thinks it's a twist ending. It isn't. It's not a twist ending. Yeah, it happens yeah. in the middle. It's a, it is a what you call a plot development. Yeah, and so when I first, I knew what the twist was in the crying game when right. I finally got around to seeing it, because of course I was 11 when it came out and wasn't allowed to see it but just through cultural osmosis knew what the twist was Mm -hmm. and so i was watching it and then it happens like 47 minutes into the movie or whatever and then the rest of the movie keeps going and it's great so if you think for some reason if you're if you've been holding back on watching the crying game because you know what the twist is do yourself a favor and watch it it's a great movie it's interesting i feel like that twist has I don't know. I, I feel like that twist has lasted longer than the film itself. People that see... I, I saw it, admittedly, probably 12 years ago, so it's been a while, mm-hmm. but I remember loving I love the acting, uh, and especially uh, Jay Davidson mm-hmm. as the... Uh, the twisty? Yeah. Or twister? I don't know. <laughs> but... Uh, or I guess the twist, as they would say in Miller's Crossing, uh-huh. 
or would be twist. Um, all the performances are great. It's really kind of a harrowing film, but it's interesting. Like that is a film that people know the twist of the, of the crying game. Even people who have never seen the film might never see the film. Everyone just sort of knows that twist. It is, it is considered one of the major twists, uh, ending or otherwise in, in film. And yeah. that, that always struck me as interesting because there are some movies like Usual Suspects, Sixth Sense, that have a twist, admittedly, in the ending. But they, hang on, there's, they have a, uh, they have a twist and people still seek them out, maybe because of the genre. But mm-hmm. I feel like The Crying Game, like you said, people just say like, oh, it turns out uh, it's a man. All right, I, don't, I don't need to see it now, right? I think you just spoiled it for the three or four people who didn't, Ex- right. who didn't yeah, yeah. know it yet. But yeah, he's a man. Uh, he uh, Rick never says play it again, Sam. That's, I'm not sure if that's so much a twist, <laughs> but it's a thing that from people, a cultural. What th- I'm saying yeah. is like people think they know something yeah. about a movie that isn't they don't know, right? So yeah, what are the other ones? Uh, well, like, I, I feel like the other like misattributed quotes, like play it again, Sam. Uh, you dirty rat, uh, James Cagney, to my knowledge, never said that. Huh. Uh, it, that that one, I don't know what lines specifically, but it's a combination of two lines uh, that he said that people just sort of, I think, put those together as the essence of James right. Cagney, and then that just became a line that we all know he said, right? Oh, wait, no, he didn't. Huh. So, it is another fine mess you've gotten us into. It's another nice mess, oh, uh, okay. Laurel and Hardy. And am I right that Arnold Schwarzenegger never said, I'll be back in any of his movies? I believe he said, uh, I'll see you soon. <laughs> <laughs> this is dumb. Um, hey, catch, by the way. Catch you later. <laughs> can I bring you back something? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Don't wait up. <laughs> I do appreciate your attempt at the accent. Um, and I was going to bring up, uh, now I can't remember exa- at all what I was going to say because I'm just now thinking of other uh, things that you could say. Um, I'll miss you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay, now. But yeah, Call so, me if you need anything. <laughs> um, I have my cell. Because <laughs> he's from the future. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm going to turn off my cell phone. Good call. rings. All right. Uh, but yeah, so I was in uh, North Carolina and, for the wedding, and it was, it was fun, but of course, anytime you're a part of a wedding, uh, you're sort of, you know, you, you're sort of... Not necessarily at the beck and call. That sounds almost negative, but like you just you want to be there for your friends, and so uh, it was. It's not a very restful time, even though it is. It is fun, and so we're in North Carolina, uh, Raleigh, Durham. Yeah, so that area, which is nice, and then uh, afterwards, right? Tobacco. They sure do. Yes, no question about it. Uh, and we, we we took some photos in that uh, in that area. Tar Heels. What was that? University of North Carolina, I think, is near there. <laughs> Is that Tar Heels? What is that? That's their, they're the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. Ugh, that's terrible. <laughs> that's what as far called. as te- I'm not a big sports guy, but as far as team names, that's bad. That's not good at all. I, I like the Tar Heels. You mean the team or the name? I think I do like the name. All right. Why? It's a, I feel like it sounds like a cool like alt bluegrass band. <laughs> The tar heels. I will. I will give you bluegrass. No question about it. But like as a uh, as an intimidating uh, team, it just it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like I, I don't think know. That if if intimidation is 
the fact that how about the Tennessee Volunteers? Like that's got to be the worst if you're trying to intimidate people. That's their name. Yeah, the Tennessee Volunteers. Yeah, it sounds. Here's what that sounds like. It sounds like the real team all got injured, and so then they're like, it, the you replacements. Know, like the replacements. Yeah. yeah, they. I have to assume the Volunteers are a ragtag bunch. Yeah, the the volunteer. It's people who. Uh, it was like volunteer civil war army. It Exa- actually yes. was an intimidating group of of uh, rednecks back in the day <laughs> that they're named after. I just I don't want to get any emails from angry volunteers fans. Although now I will get them for calling them rednecks. <laughs> uh, uh, Tennessee's a beautiful state, one of the best states in the nation. So I so yeah uh, so then Jen and I went to uh, Manteo, North Carolina, where we spent our honeymoon. Spent a couple days there, and then we were going to fly back, and got uh, stuck in Chicago overnight. So uh, went to dinner with uh, my friends uh, Scott and Tracy. And what did you say where you were stuck? Did they put you up in a hotel? Put, yes, they put me up in, in, so were you in stuck the Hampton Inn at O'Hare or Midway. 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 Yes, that's uh, Midway's cool. Is it? I don't know. Is you know what? I feel like Midway used to be cool. And then but too now, many people found out about it. Thanks <laughs> a lot, much. Southwest. But no, I mean, they've... When we moved there, Midway was still pretty small. Yes. But they were doing construction. And now I've changed planes there just recently, coming back from St. Louis, which I know isn't doesn't make sense geographically, but yeah. <laughs> um, that's what happens. Uh, and Midway just looks like another major airport now. It's it does. Enor- it's enormous. It used to be small. Like, not like... Burbank Airport, small, but, but it, it, had the, it had the Burbank manager. vibe. Yeah. Like I was excited when I would get to go to Midway instead of O'Hare. O'Hare seemed like uh, seemed like the man. O'Hare was like McDonald's, <laughs> and Midway was like Wendy's. Yeah, I like Wendy's. But you got to from where we lived. You got to go through downtown, coming to and from Midway, so it kind of felt cool. Whereas, it, yeah, to and get you to O'Hare, you had to yeah. get on a bus and then take the train. Yeah, you could just hop on the L out of Midway. And just, uh, you know... You still have to change, plane, change trains from the orange line that, to the red line. That's fine. It's that's easier than dealing with a bus. A flight of stairs. Yeah, yeah. No, no question. So, All right, that's this podcast is for no one right now. Clearly. So let's, uh, I mentioned I was at Comic-Con. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Um, this is going to be sort of our Comic-Con wrap-up. It's a one-person Comic-Con wrap-up. But um, I saw some stuff, and Tyler will no doubt have questions. So I figure how we're going to do I think this. I'm, I think I'm good. <laughs> I'm just going to sit over here. You you go you go ahead. Uh, I got some work to do. Do you have any questions about my Comic Con experience to start off, or do you want to ask them as they come up? Uh, well, I'll start off with okay. So this is your fourth Comic Con. Sixth. Sixth. But I didn't. It's, it's, oh my gosh! It's, the, it's the fourth one that I've really done, and the okay. thir- it's only the third time that I've done all five days. Okay. Uh, but it is it is the fourth time I've been to San Diego Comic Con. The, si- the sixth time, rather, that I've been to San Diego Comic Con. Do you think, in terms of which is your which has been your favorite, or which has been the most rewarding, or do you, can you even really compare the experiences? Um, do you kind of view each one as its own thing? No, no. Actually, a lot of them. The further I get from the early ones, I can't remember like what happened, what year, hmm. you know, because. If I can tie something to a movie, I can go, okay, that movie was coming out that fall, so I know. Okay. But in terms of like social experiences, which is probably three-fifths of my Comic-Con experiences, the yeah. so- social stuff, the eating and drinking and, and seeing friends and meeting up with people, um, that kind of bleeds together year to year. Okay. But I do have a favorite. Which is what? Two years ago was my okay. favorite. Because um, my uh, girlfriend, Natalie, the love of my life. Yeah. Um, came down with me for the whole five days. It was the first time I'd done the whole five days. It was also the first time I'd gone to Comic-Con after 
having a steady job for a little bit and actually not actually being able to enjoy myself in terms of the eating and drinking and not thinking about like oh, okay. how is this going to affect my ability to keep my electricity when I get back to Los Angeles or, or whatnot. Uh, it was also in terms of stuff. It was the uh, Stan Freeberg's first panel. Uh, the Mighty Boosh were there, so there's mm-hmm. a Mighty Boosh panel and a Mighty Boosh show, and it was the final Lost panel, which mm-hmm. was a Comic Con memory. Probably the it, final Lost panel might be my favorite Comic Con memory of all time. And I, I unfortunately wasn't uh, no, there you, for that, but I remember your stories and and seeing like uh, YouTube clips and stuff of it. Uh-huh. It did sound like a lot of fun. Like what what one of those panels should be, which is a celebration of the thing as opposed to merely promoting it, right? Uh, yeah. And of course, I, I also did not go to the Avengers panel last year. Uh, well, but it was that a Marvel sounded panel, like Marvel it was, panel. It was um, like it was Captain America and Thor, and then there was a, just a tiny little Avengers thing at the end. Well, well tiny, I guess the it, tiny thing yeah. was that the entire cast was there, but there was not. It wasn't like a Q and A with them or anything. They just walked out and they just walked out and waved. You've got like Mark Ruffalo had come all the way down to San, all the way down to San Diego, yeah, to walk out on stage and wave to people. It, but it must have been a great moment, like to see ev- all of those people together. Yeah. You know, all your favorites. Black Widow, Agent, Agent Coulson, and others, I Hawkeye. assume. yeah. Huh? <laughs> he was there? Uh, yeah. Jeremy Renner? I, did, I like the idea that we've, we named none of the big ones. <laughs> but uh, but none, so, none of the big ones are in the Avengers, right? All the big Marvel properties are X-Men and Spider-Man, right? I don't think so. Hulk is pretty big. Oh, you're right. You're and right. Captain America was sort of big for a while. And Iron Man but is I'm big now. To non-comics people. Right, to non-comics people, I think Spider-Man's probably the biggest, the biggest um, Marvel, the mi- biggest. Marvel, I, I think yeah. probably the two biggest superheroes to non-comic book people are Superman and Batman, and those yeah. are DC. Mm-hmm. And so Spider-Man is probably the biggest name, um, Marvel Superman to the layman. Yeah, I think so. A Marvel superhero, not Marvel Superman. The, Spider-Man is like the Marvel Superman. Look, we all know it. <laughs> But <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, it's and you know what? Here's here's my theory as to why Rogues Gallery. Whoever has the best Rogues Gallery is who you'll remember. Oh, okay, which is why I think that people are more inclined to like Batman than Superman. And Spider Man has a really great ro- Rogues yeah, Gallery. Who does Superman have besides Lex Luthor? He's got Dark Side, and those are the two I can name. Doomsday is the oh, one who Doomsday, killed him, I guess. Right. Um, but again, Brainiac. There's one called Brainiac. But I don't know the again, details. Again, if, if we're talking about layman, the layman doesn't know who Darkseid is. I barely right. know. Yeah, Le- Lex Luthor is the one they know. Right. But uh, General Zod, sure, which sure. they know from the movie. But yeah, and so, but like you know, if you ask people like, "Hey, who are uh, Batman's biggest villains?" They can they can rattle off five or six, no problem. All right, I'm going to do that right now, David. Batman's biggest villains. Who are they? Uh, the Joker okay. is one. Okay. Scarecrow. Oh, all right. I'm just thinking of the movies. I all guess right. Riddler and okay. Two-Face. Mm-hmm. What are the big ones? Joker, Riddler, Two-Face. Mm-hmm. I'm probably missing a big one. Mr. Cat Freeze. Woman. Catwoman. Catwoman. The Penguin. The Penguin. Clayface. Yeah. Um, Mr. Freeze. You said Mr. Freeze. That's good. Yeah. Um, you hit You hit the, the big ones. There's always... King Croc. It, Killer Croc. Killer Croc. You're thinking of King Tut from the Adam West version. I, I was thinking, uh, yeah, no, I was thinking of the Rat King from Ninja Turtles. <laughs> All right, you know what? He's very similar to Killer Croc. Okay, let's get into Comic Con. Fair enough. Uh, well, the reason that I asked you about past Comic Cons, uh, how does this one compare? Let's uh, let's 
should we go uh, letter grade or star rating? Uh, I, I'll, I guess I'll go letter grade, but um, again, they're always fun for me. Okay. So it's always going to be like worst case scenario is going to be a B, B plus, but I'd say this okay. was an A minus because my girlfriend wasn't there. Fair enough. Okay. So fair enough. Uh, all right. So. David, take us through it. All right. Well, um, I guess Wednesday was preview night. Uh, no, no panels. Um, but I did get. I did go to the slash film meetup and talk to, you know, um, our friend. We've been on his show, Devinder Hardwar, um, yep. but also Peter Serretta, whom we uh, met through our friend Dave Chen, and um, Tim Buell from the Golden Briefcase podcast. He's a great guy. I had met him very briefly last year, um, but actually got to hang out with him a, a bit more this year and. So that was a lot of fun. George R. R. Martin, the author of the A Song of Ice and Fire books, you know, mm. as Game of Thrones, was in the Marriott lobby at the same time as the as was Stan Lee, by the way, hmm. in the, at the same time as the as the meetup. So that was interesting. Did you, did you talk to them? I, I, I noticed that you didn't. Maybe the recorder didn't work. No, yeah, I didn't. I didn't go talk to you. But someone I was there with actually did sort of geek out at George R. Mar- R. 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 Martin. And um, it's interesting nice that guy. they wouldn't geek out over uh, Stan Lee. I think for this particular guy that I, this guy Mike that I had only met that day, he was a friend mm-hmm. of another friend of mine. I think George R. R. Martin was the bigger name. Interesting. And the more I'm saying it out loud, the more I'm realizing that George R. R. Martin is kind of inelegant a name. No. <laughs> like, <it's> <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to think that because the guy has chosen to go by that. He's not a good guy. <laughs> That's what I think. No, but uh, the word is he was very nice. Um, I didn't go to the Game of Thrones pre- panel. And I'm going to stick uh, essentially to um, movies here because I saw some TV things. Um, but this is a movie podcast. So I'm yeah, people can listen stuff. to your other show. Yeah, and I will actually be talking about this on the show previously on. You can find it, find it previously on show dot com. So Thursday, I came straight from Ringer, which is a TV thing. To you know what? One more thing. Okay. I will have a little gripe with Comic-Con. Now, they put... When Lost had panels over the last last few years, they put that in Hall H, Hall H being the huge room. Mm -hmm. Um, And this year, on Sunday, they had a TV day where, like, Glee, Supernatural, Doctor Who Mm -hmm. were in Hall H. All other TV the whole weekend was in Ballroom 20, the second biggest room. Okay. Uh, I feel like that's kind of a ghettoized thing because... You've got movies, like, essentially, like, at the same time that there's a movie that not a lot of people care about in Hall H, there's Game of Thrones over in Ballroom 20, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's it's given primacy to movies. More people care about Game of Thrones than, than, than a lot of movies, frankly. And I, I hope they learn the lesson next year and move some of the TV stuff, like, like Game of Thrones, like Chuck, which draws a huge crowd, mm-hmm. um, into Hall H. It'll make... Because uh, a couple of the uh, the Hall H lines were surprisingly manageable this year. The Ballroom Twenty lines were not. Hmm. Because of what was in there, you think? Yeah. Yeah. Does Does this also could it also have True to Blood? Do with- they put in Ballroom Twenty. You know, Dexter's in Ballroom Twenty. Like these are big. Okay. Sh- True Blood, especially like could probably fill Hall H. Did I was I in uh, Ballroom Twenty for the uh, Showtime thing last last uh, year? Probably, yeah. Okay, because I, I, that, that sounds familiar because it was uh, pretty big. But, uh, yeah, do you, so do you think it might be because 
because I don't know totally how Comic Con uh, is run. Do you think it's entirely? Do you think it's likely at all that the studio like paid them? No, to it's, it's Comic Con's a nonprofit. Okay, um, I think it's just traditionally movies get higher placement over TV, and I think that's a way a thing that's the that Comic Con might be a little behind the times on on catching up with, or maybe they just didn't foresee Game of Thrones because Game of Thrones was like the line there there were more people if if i can try and say this okay ballroom 20 fits about 4500 people okay which is pretty big mm. hall h fits about 6500 mm. which is big when i was in ballroom 20 for ringer the word is from the comic con people there were more people in line outside ballroom 20 than there were in Hall H. So there were more than 6,500 people. Not even in... The, so that's like... You put that together, that's 10,000 people between people in Ballroom 20 and people in line for Ballroom 20 at one time. It's 10,000 people. Do you think it might have something to do with... Uh, you mentioned them uh, maybe being a little bit behind the times. Do you think it also has to do with maybe like almost a... Not so much a philosophy, but a, a notion that... Well, movies, everyone can see them. Whereas, for example, I myself, I cannot see Game of Thrones. I cannot see Dexter or, you know, any, uh, like, Showtime or HBO shows. I can't see them, whereas I, anybody, if they want, can go to a movie theater and see probably any movie that's featured at Comic-Con is going to, Everyone can see it at a theater, no, really, no matter where they live. Do you think it comes from almost a... I think that's an old... Uh, I think that you not having like a major cable package mm-hmm. and premium things is putting you closer to the minority. You're probably still in the majority, but with it of Comic-Con type fans, yeah, no, you're absolutely. probably in the minority. I think, uh, I, I think for that like subset of people, the kind of people who are into Comic-Con having cable and a couple of pay channels is probably a, an assumed thing, mm-hmm. you know? I don't have stars, but I'm probably going to get it in the next couple What's of months. What's the big thing on stars? Right now it's Torchwood, and that's why I want to oh, get okay. it. But they also had Party Down. That's right, yeah, um, yeah. They have the, they have the Spartacus uh, shows. I don't know that I'm going to watch those. But yeah, right. they had the Crash series ah, yes. with Dennis Hopper. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm probably going to be getting stars in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I wonder if it... I don't know, it's... Do you know who? I mean, do you know how they go about making? The, again, I, I know very little about the behind-the-scenes aspect of, of Comic Con. Do you know how they go about making the decisions? Do you know, like the, for example, the age of the the average age of the people who make these decisions? Because I, I don't. I mean, I, I I I get the impression that these are. I mean, Comic Con's been around over forty years. Right. I don't think these are necessarily young people making the decisions. Which which leads me to think that perhaps they they don't quite. They still have the old school way of. Yeah, and I don't think they immediately assume that because it, I don't think they quite not not so much understand, but I don't think they quite appreciate that these days, as you said, if someone is going to Comic-Con, chances are they are inundated with media. Now, I realize that sounds negative the way I phrased it, but like they will, you know, they will gorge themselves on on things, which means they will get HBO, they will get Showtime, yeah. or quite frankly, even if they don't, they can get them online somehow. 
Yeah. And so... I think they all, you also need to realize that the fan mentality means that something that they're already invested in is going to draw more than something they might be invested in. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, what was going on in... Hall H during this will transition. Hall H during Game of Thrones or in the or during Ringer, I guess, in the lead up to Game of Thrones was the uh, film district. Uh, what they they do, sometimes they have panels for movies if the movie's big enough. Sometimes they just have panels for the studio for an hour and a half with Sony. It was two and a half hours. I didn't make it into that, and they'll just say, "Here's all the stuff that this studio has coming out." So, film district had uh, their big thing was Guillermo del Toro's produced um, uh, "Don't Be Afraid of the Dark," which mm-hmm. looks good to me. Yeah, but I still think the fan mentality is going to say, "Like, I'd rather be in line for something that I'm already familiar with and already know that I'm a fan of yeah. than something that I might be a fan of because it's produced by a guy I like." Mm-hmm. You know. Um, even though he was there. but uh, I So I walked in to the Film District panel. I missed all the Don't Be Afraid of the Dark stuff, and I missed all the footage for Drive, which is a shame because the word is that it looks great. Mm-hmm. Drive is the new uh, Nicholas Vending Refn film. He made Bronson. He made the Pusher trilogy in, mm-hmm. in, in Russia. Uh, and Drive is a new film starring uh, Ryan Gosling and Carey Mulligan. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, So I walked in at the very end of that, and I'm just... Uh, just Nicholas Fending Refn talking, um, and he seems like a very entertaining sort. And uh, Carrie Mul- Mulligan was up on stage, and she seems very charming. So I don't really have much to say about Drive, except for the aforementioned Devendra Hardwar and some of the people I know went to a screening of it at Comic Con hmm. um, and said it looks great. Okay. Uh, said that it is great. So uh, Drive is. I'm going to go ahead and say recommended, even though I didn't see any of the footage. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but what I was really there for was after Film District was the 20th Century Fox panel, which was, um, I guess, moderated by Damon Lindelof, um, creator of one, or one of the executive producers from Lost. And the reason he was moderating it is because he is one of the screenwriters for Prometheus. Oh, okay. Ridley Scott's new film that is not an alien prequel. They talked about it. Right. It definitely takes place in the same world as Alien. Mm-hmm. And they talked... Uh, Damien Lindelof was there, and so was Charlize Theron there in person. And then they, via satellite, talked to Ridley Scott and Numi Rapace in Iceland, where they're still filming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Ridley Scott, who is... Uh, this was a big... Um, this is this would be, like I guess, the first of three like big directors that I'm a fan of that I'm now also that I now also kind of think are cool because okay. Ridley Scott uh, I'll get to the two also well I, I, I'm on, I'm, I was of the opinion uh, or under the impression that you're not a huge fan of Ridley Scott these days like I guess these days yeah but I mean okay. he made Alien and Blade yeah. Runner and that uh, IB, a good IBM year. commercial is that from, the one you're thinking of I'm thinking of the IBM commercial from 1984 oh okay yeah um, he's just he very funny talking about how he felt he looked like uh he was because he was standing outside in the na- in like nature or whatever, and Iceland mm-hmm. like freezing, and he compared himself to uh, David Attenborough, you know, who does like <laughs> nature specials for the uh, BBC. Um, this is very funny. He didn't know how to pronounce Numi Rapace's last name, even though she was standing right next to him, and he has <laughs> presumably been directing her for <laughs> weeks at this point. But he called her Numi Rapace, and then questioned himself, and she was like, "It's Rapace." Uh, I thought that was funny. But uh, as far as the footage, let's get to the actual stuff people want half an hour into the show. Yeah. Uh, as far as the footage from Prometheus, there were no scenes, like full scenes. It was essentially like a sizzle reel, mm-hmm. um, a bunch of shots strung together. But um, 
Okay, it talks. Okay, Ridley Scott said it's not an alien prequel, but he said by the end of the film, you will understand how it fits into the alien world. And I can tell you, production design wise, I can tell right now how it fits into the alien world. It looks like the same world as Alien. Like that's it, that's cool. I'm excited. It very like in you see them walking, uh, walking down halls that look like they could might as well be on board the Nostromo. Okay. You know, um, uh, Michael Fassbender has. Um, white hair, certainly um, recalling Ian Holm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just generally, like, you can tell H.R. Giger or Geiger, however you say it, um, was, uh, I think he was involved or maybe just an influence. I'm not sure. Is he still alive? I don't think so, but you know okay. what? I have no idea. All right. Um, I like to think that even if he's dead, he's still he's still alive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it looks like his, his stuff. So and so that um, intrigued me. And also the fact that there weren't, you know, this is a sizzle reel. There's still, there's, things aren't, like, finished. But there weren't a lot of, like, like blank spaces where CGI goes in. It looks like a lot of the effects are going to be practical. Okay, that's, that's that was another concern yeah, of mine. That's really helpful, I think. Here's here's the last concern that I have about Prometheus, even though it does take place in the same universe as uh, Alien. Oh, you've also got Charlie Theron with a flamethrower, much like uh, all right, Sigourney Weaver with a flamethrower. I guess that uh, that fi- that uh, solves my problem. Yeah. No, uh, it's I'm excited for it, but I feel like Ridley Scott is a different filmmaker than he used to be. I feel like Alien and Blade Runner, and even the the app uh mac commercial you know uh-huh. like i feel like is that what it was was it an apple commercial yeah i think so okay i yeah, said because, ibm oh no but, ibm was the big brother that's uh, that's see. that's I who see. that was supposed to be but i feel like uh, ridley scott used to be a very patient a filmmaker. bunch of our listeners just hit discards on emails they were ha- they were <laughs> they were halfway through <laughs> yeah you said it and i didn't call you on it uh-huh. so anyway but I feel like he, he used to be a much more patient filmmaker and was content to just let si- let things sit and really let the, the atmosphere envelop you. I feel like that has gone away in his films. He's moved a little more towards the, the Tony Scott camp? Yeah, I'd say so. I, for good or ill, because, of course, uh, excuse me, Black Hawk Down, he envelops you with action, as it, as it should be. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, you know, I feel but then like there's like Gladiator, which I'm not a big fan of. Nor am I, and I feel like that's it, one. It, that, that's what you're saying. It is that Gladiator is an ostentatious film. Yeah, and as opposed to austere. Oh, but <laughs> oh, if everyone could see, it's been a while since I've mentioned the self-satisfied <laughs> smile uh, of David Max. So, as exciting as Prometheus is, and it is, I'm very, I'm very excited about it that he is returning to this thing. I almost feel like he won't be able to help himself and though he's going practical the fact that he's doing practical effects mostly that's uh, what it looks like that's what it looks like yeah uh that is encouraging that's a step in the right direction i think if in fact that's true uh whereas i i still feel like he's not the filmmaker that he was and i feel like it could wind up just being more frustrating than anything than anything else well we'll see i'm uh i mean my verdict is that i'm my hopes are up for it Next one up in the 20th Century Fox, my hopes are not... Oh, by the way, Charlize Theron, what a delight. Like, my crush on her is renewed for another 10 years, I think. Cause she it started is, with, North, with North Country. I think it started with Two Days in the Valley, probably. All right. But um, in addition to being, obviously, you know, stunning, mm-hmm. she's clearly a very intelligent person, mm-hmm. and that uh, that's... 
That's right up my alley. So, um, a movie that I'm not necessarily excited for, nor am I necessarily dismissive of. Mm-hmm. The new Andrew Nichol film. Okay. He wrote, uh, for those who don't know, he wrote The Truman Show, which was directed by Peter Weir, and then he wrote and directed Gattaca, which I think is a, mm-hmm. a favorite among a lot of... Uh, it's, I, I, me included. I, I've, yes, I, I really Gattaca. enjoyed... Yeah. Uh, then he did Simone, which... Has some interesting ideas. Stick with that. Hold okay. that thought. And All then right. he did Lord of War, which I didn't see. Oh, uh, not bad. Okay. Um, in Time is another science fiction thing, and the idea is... Let me see if I can remember. Did you premise. say it was end time or in time? In time. In time. Yeah. Okay. Um, the premise is that um, time has replaced money in the sense that everyone in the world is genetically predispositioned, you know, set up to a to stop aging at the age of twenty five. At the age of twenty five, you are given a year to live. But it's like money. So if you work hard or if you steal it or if you are born into it, you can live forever if you have enough money. Mm-hmm. And if you're broke, then you have to scratch and scrape for every minute to stay alive for another day or two. Hmm. I think it probably will work better in a novel. Um, there's weird things like the fact that the amount of time you have is countdown that's like embedded in your skin that people can see okay and that seems like a little too much of a movie trip like why would you need to see that why would yeah it seems to me like you'd be very aware of it you may not need the reminder yeah and plus there's there's a big plot point that like someone who has a bunch of time gets like um because you can still be killed i guess like gets killed or or attacked or whatever because he's flashing it around but it's like he doesn't really have like I don't have a choice. It's like it's out right. there for everyone to see. Uh, it, it seems like an interesting idea. Um, it's Justin Timberlake and Amanda Seyfried, um, uh, also Johnny Galecki, and then the. Uh, um, it's a, it's actually like a thriller action chase movie where um, Justin Timberlake inherits a bunch of time that he people think he doesn't deserve, so they frame him for a murder. Hmm. So he's essentially the. Harrison Ford in The Fugitive, the Tommy Lee Jones in this movie is Killian Murphy. Oh, all so right. That's kind of... Yeah. That, that's, that speaks well. Yeah, except... I, I, I think just, Justin Timberlake as a performer is is good. I don't... I, I think in the right role, he can be great. This doesn't sound like the right role. Can he carry a movie? Or is he... Uh, right. I yeah, feel like I'm going to be rooting for the wrong guy in this thing. <laughs> right. Uh, but there are interesting ideas, like, you don't think about the fact that you can't cast anyone over the age of 25, even if they're supposed to be, you know, yeah. like, I, there's one point you meet Killian Murphy's mother mm-hmm. and his grandmother, but they're 25-year-olds. That's creepy. Yeah. It's, and, and stuff like that, I feel like... That's interesting. A concept like that, if, well, the whole concept is interesting, and if you are willing to carry it through, which, which of course, he is... It can be jarring enough that you're like, this is very unusual. But it, it is, it, it's sad to me that it, it's a really fascinating concept and it sounds like a pretty conventional story mm-hmm. uh, in the midst of it. Yeah, and that's what, I mean, Simone was a really interesting concept mm-hmm. that didn't turn out to be that successful movie. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm afraid of here, especially since, like, it might be a little too high concept in time to where you kind of have to be hitting yourself, hitting over the head with it at all times mm-hmm. uh my uh, what i said to someone after seeing the footage is like if i see that movie and there's a part where a homeless guy says can you spare a minute i'm walking out of the theater uh, <laughs> but you know something like yeah, that's gonna happen yeah 
So nah. I'm a little less. Uh, I'm gonna based on and you know Truman Show and the goodwill from Truman Show and mm-hmm. and Gattaca. I'm gonna wait for the reviews, but right. It, it, and Lord of War was good. Admittedly, okay. it is not high concept at all. Right. Uh, the, the final thing of the 20th Century Fox was Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which um, I don't really know what to... This is the opposite of Prometheus in that it's like all CGI. Mm-hmm. Um, the CGI doesn't really bother me, but it, it looks, looks... It looks pretty good. Uh, the, CGI, the CGI. Oh, the CGI. The movie... Um, they showed some... Like a, an extended trailer and also like a, a scene, and it looks like... It just looks like I can tell you every beat of the movie... Uh, it doesn't seem interesting. And John John Lithgow, an actor that I love, looks like he's chewing the scenery in in the wrong way. Like there mm. are movies where it's okay for John Lithgow to chew the scenery. I'd say most of them. <laughs> but there are also movies like performances, you know, your terms of endearment or whatnot, where right. he's uh, like he knows when to be over the top, you yeah. know, and when to be under the top. I but guess one could- this looks like it's the wrong. The wrong thing. It, it, the whole thing seems like a, except for the level of the effects, mm. it seems kind of uh, cheap and like almost made for TV. And well, it is. It's as far as I can tell, it's basically a remake of Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, which was itself sort of a prequel. Okay, I don't. I don't it, know the Planet of the Apes movies beyond the original. Well, it's uh, Cornelius and Zara, I believe, go back in time uh, to our day and then everyone's like hey talking apes that's weird and so it's i'm paraphrasing but it's uh and so they wind up like imprisoning them and, and all that but anyway so they have a, a son named uh, uh caesar who winds up leading the ape revolution so it sounds like that that's and, the leader's name here but there's no time traveling apes right it's right. about uh james franco plays a doctor who's tried out this experimental thing that will cure alzheimer's and he's tried it out on apes and it's gone beyond repairing their brain and actually made them super smart and i feel like there's probably the planet of the apes series only not only works but like it works primarily as a as like solid satire and i feel like the much like tim burton's film which stripped any satire at all Uh i feel like this one I don't know if there's any satire in it. If there is, then I feel like that, it could it be good. A, if, yeah. yeah, it looks way too way too serious. That's despite the despite the cast, you know, like James Franco, uh, Brian Cox is in it. John mm-hmm. Lithgow, I mentioned Andy Circus. Andy Circus plays Caesar, um, and he was there. And uh, this is again a thing that I said at the time. Um, if Rises of the Planet of the Apes were the movie that Andy Circus was describing in the panel, mm-hmm. I'd be super excited about it. Right, but. It doesn't look like it's that. Uh, he's ta- he's just talks such a good game about like the character's journey and like mm-hmm. uh, all these great things that he goes through. And by the way, it's an ape. Like it's like that sounds awesome. And then, yeah. but then you see the stuff, and it's like this seems paint by numbers. And the uh, the trailers that I've seen, there are two sort of strains of trailer. There's a trailer that's about how sad it is that Caesar like didn't fit into society and that's why he led this and then there are trailers that are just the apes revolting and fucking mm. shit up yeah. and the latter trailer is better because interesting because the character quote unquote character stuff doesn't look that successful it looks kind of by the numbers I keep using that phrase but that's kind of how it looks whereas the action stuff that clearly that's where most of the budget went right and there's like this showdown between 
cops and apes on like the Golden Gate Bridge. I think it's supposed to be. Yeah. And it looks really cool. Yeah, I feel like if you're going to, I guess if you're going to remove the satire and have the 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 character stuff be sort of rote and trite, mm-hmm. um, trote as I like to call it, <laughs> then at the very least you need to have a certain degree of ingenuity and cleverness in the action sequences. And the action sequences look good in the completeness of them in that it really it's like you're watching a disaster movie and so i mm-hmm. I, i'm actually i'm looking forward to it not to the point where i won't look at the reviews and i could see the reviews right. being straight c's and d's and if that's the case like looks like i'm waiting for well maybe forever like i don't <laughs> think I, I might never see that do you uh, uh this is off topic but i realized this and talk, talk to my girlfriend the other day like i subconsciously if I haven't seen a movie, I subconsciously assume that I will see it someday. Like, there's no movie that I've come to terms with the fact that I'm never going to see. Like, I assume anything. Every dumb movie that I have no reason to see, I subconsciously assume that someday I'll get around to it. Oh, my, no. Not the case for me. It's, oh, okay. I'm not going to see... I haven't seen Transformers 2. I haven't seen 3. I'm never going to. I'm never going to. Like, it's... And I'm not... I, I'm, I'm probably never going to, but... And I'm not saying it, it That's as, hard for me to say. I'm not. I'm not saying it as me taking a stand. I'm saying it as something I feel is factually correct. I know I'm never going You're to. Just never going to get around to it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, anything else on Rise of the Planet of the Apes? Any other thoughts? No. No. Okay. Then we, I'm we should, move on. We should move along. I'm sorry. Yeah, we're doing fine. Um, the other thing on Thursday, uh, I don't really have much to say about it because it's not any news. But Entertainment Weekly does this thing like called Visionaries, where they get two big names together. And there's a moderator from Entertainment Weekly, and they take questions from the audience, and they talk about each other's work. Uh, last year, it was Joss Whedon and J.J. Abrams. This year, it was Guillermo del Toro and John Favreau. And it was really cool. Hmm. Um, especially because those two um, are really, really into the Comic-Con thing. Like, yeah. John Favreau last year insisted on cutting together some footage, even though he'd been shooting for less than a month on Cowboys and Aliens, to sh- specifically to show at Com- Comic Con. Mm-hmm. And then this year insisted on holding the actual Hollywood premiere, you know, the big big premiere of Cowboys and Aliens at Comic Con. I think mm-hmm. it's um, these are guys who really get what Comic Con is about. Whether or not that's whether or not what Comic Con is about is necessarily right for the movies they're making at all times no. is a different question, but um, that doesn't matter to me while I'm at Comic-Con. I, I buy into the Comic-Con thing, hook, line, and sinker. Um, that, makes, that makes it sound like they're doing me. Again, they're a non-profit. Like, I love Comic-Con. Um, and I'm rambling at this point. But they're, they're, those are the right guys, the right two guys to be up there. I feel like I might be nit- nitpicking. Would you ever describe... I-, I like John Favreau as a director. Would you ever describe him as a visionary? <laughs> I, that's probably not the word, word for him. Yeah, because he... I like him as a director, too, but I don't know that he's... Yeah. He's not a... When I think of Joss Whedon, I, admittedly, I think of him more from a writing standpoint than a directing standpoint, but... Uh, but still, he still has a tourist quality. Absolutely. As, and I think J.J. Abrams does as well. And Del Toro. And Del Toro. Not quite so much uh, John Favreau, Which even though, as I said... against him. Yeah, right, we right. like him as a... Yeah, okay. But I feel like you want someone... I, I, I It's just the name of the that, thing. Right. But I feel like you want someone who has a clear to borrow their own term, who has a clear vision and has a clear voice. Uh, and his voice, as far as I can tell, is that he embraces 
the type of thing that Comic-Con is as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely not. I enjoy the movies that he makes. But, but he, I feel like if you're going to have someone talking with Guillermo del Toro, mm-hmm. who is a visionary in every sense of the word and an auteur, I feel like you need someone who has maybe not as much artistic credibility as he does, but someone who is comparable. And I don't think John he, Favreau is. He did talk about a thing that I had never really thought about before in his movies that does seem kind of consistent um that he likes to have a movie where there's one crazy thing like uh a human elf comes to new york or a guy builds a flying suit or aliens invade a western Mm -hmm. and by although the reviews would say that this isn't a very might not be the best example but it has one crazy thing and then everything else in the movie is treated as though it takes place in the real world. Uh, and I think that's true of Elf and Iron Man. I haven't seen Cowboys and Aliens, but I think that's a big part of why those movies work, is that um, so much, like the rest of the world is is real, mm-hmm. and then there's one crazy element. Uh, I think, here's, I, I would agree that that's how his movies start, but then after a while I think the world starts to adapt to the crazy element, and so you wind up with... Yeah, as it should have to, though. I guess so, but then you wind up with, like, the city of New York singing Santa Claus is coming to town, and you wind up with a lot of but that, metal, I, I, a lot this of is maybe his auteurist things that he's, like, um, uh, insisting on the triumph of the imagination over the mundane. Which is all well and good, except that's when, for me, that, because he does such a solid job of creating that real world... Mm-hmm. That, you know, it's uh, a common complaint, and I, I, I have to say I, I agree with it. <coughs> a common complaint about Up is that it that introduction roots the characters so firmly in our emotional reality that when it comes time for a big bunch of balloons to take a house into the air, we're like, what? what, what? Or dogs to fly airplanes. Right. Yeah. Like, when that happens, you're like, uh, 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 okay, like, you really need to readjust your thinking. And I feel like that's in the, la- in the last, like, 20 to 25 minutes of his movies, um, I feel like you are, you're really forced to readjust your, your thinking. Um, with, well, I think I think Elf works front to back for me. I think uh, I'm more inclined to give it a pass because it's because of the genre that it's. You know what I didn't see that I want to see now because of this. See, having seen this panel is Zathora. Yeah, I heard I heard good things about it. Yeah, I want to see that. All right, uh, moving on to Friday then. Sure. Um, and this is the now. Second. Do you want to talk about any uh, any social interactions on those days, or or do the uh, do the recordings speak for themselves? I don't know if the recording speaks for themselves, but this is the. Okay. This is the wrap up of the Okay, fair enough. <laughs> of the movie stuff. Um It's interesting. I the only reason I bring that up is because before we started recording you were telling me how like every everybody that you talk to on those recordings you just hate. Like you were telling me <laughs> before yeah. we started no, recording today. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I thought maybe you'd want to put that uh, I guys. understand why you wouldn't. No, um that is not the case. Uh as far as socially, like it was great getting to hang out with Ryan from Criterion Cast again, um, like I did last year, meeting some some new people, um, some new internet movie writers and stuff David Ehrlich and um I met uh Angie Hahn. Um fun stuff. And for that reason, like that to me is more, and we've talked about the communal element of of Comic Con, uh, and having gone last year, I really got a sense of it. 
And especially, I also, by the way, met Thursday night Lance Lieber, who hey, all right, who made our uh, our logo, our enviable logo. <laughs> yeah. uh, we talked about that. Anyway, oh, yeah. go ahead. But uh, that that was the big thing that I that I was missing. Not the panels, though; those are fun, and and you know, I do enjoy walking the floor, uh, and not just because I keep an eye. It's nice getting tweets, by the way, from people saying like, "Hey, uh, here's a Riddler thing. Someone should buy that for you." Yeah, I'm like, already got it, buddy. Yeah, Thanks. I saw that. But. Uh, but I like the communal element and the idea that you're all getting to know each other and someone that you you wouldn't have known otherwise. And especially like when I heard all the like all these film bloggers getting together, it sounded so exciting. Like because <laughs> all right, so last last year we hung out uh, with Ryan and Rudy, and the four of us were talking, and and we were talking about we were comparing notes on what it is to host. A podcast in general, but a film podcast specifically, like emails that you get, things that you shoot for, rivals you have, stuff like uh-huh. that, because there's always a rivalry. I'm looking at you, uh, Elizabeth po- Rapp. Popcorn Mafia. No. I don't know. I have <laughs> we, we both went for women. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I have absolutely nothing against Popcorn Mafia. I just had and to I pick have nothing something. against Elizabeth Rapp. I just remember. It just occurred to me that in listing the people I talked to, I had forgotten to mention her. And so, so it's just, you know. Y- in that moment, you actually finally, at long last, find somebody who, in maybe in a, in in a broad way, they know what you're doing and they have sympathy for it. Mm-hmm. You know, they know that yeah, none of us are getting paid, but we love doing it anyway. You know, <laughs> and stuff like that. And you don't yeah. have to. Ex- well, you don't these, have to explain things to people. A lot, of, a lot of these bloggers are getting paid. I don't know what for. You know, damn right. I'm looking at you. Um, all of you. Um, so moving on to Thursday and, or Friday rather, and um, uh, the second in the list of uh, directors that I was already a fan of as directors, and now I'm a fan of as people. Uh, in his first ever appearance at Comic Con, Steven Spielberg. Oh yeah, was there for um, War Horse. I, I know. I, I think the super concise and ultra marketable name is The Adventures of Tintin: The Secret of the Unicorn. Mm, okay. Um, just go with the Adventures of Tintin on the first one. Like, I understand you're setting yourself up for sequels, but on the first one, don't mention unicorns. Yeah. <laughs> Always a good rule of thumb, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, Curse of the Black Unicorn. <laughs> but um, it was a really cool panel, He was, and then Peter Jackson was there, and um, they talked about Tintin for an hour. This was not, you know, a, like, uh, uh, what was I saying before, studio-specific one. This was... Mm-hmm the panel for Tintin. Um, and they showed some footage that I, I liked. It looks like a kid's, I mean, they've done motion capture, mm-hmm. but it looks like they're taking sort of the, um, and not quite exa- exaggerated, but sort of the monster house route where they're, okay. They're exaggerating the features enough. So you don't get the uncanny Valley stuff that you've seen in Robert Zemeckis's yes. movies. You know, um, it's not quite as cartoonish as Monster House. It still looks a little realistic, but it's still clearly a cartoon. Mm. And so it looks like a cartoon. Uh, a lot of the stuff they showed was action type stuff, and it looks like it owes a lot to Raiders of the Lost Ark, and that's hmm. exciting for me. You know, um, like there's a part. It's a kid, but you know, I mean, he's not mm. a kid. Kid, he's like a teenager. Um, they're stranded on a boat, and he's got his gun. That's another reason I think it's cool. It's a movie, a handy movie with kids, but they have guns. All right. Uh, and they're being strafed by, like, a plane with machine gun on it. And the kid says to the guy with him, he's like, I've got bad news and good news. 
the bad news is we've only got one bullet. And the guy says, what's the good news? He says, we've got one bullet. <laughs> and then that was where like the scene ended. And I was like, that was awesome. <laughs> like that seems like an Indiana Jones type of moment. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Um, now, See, are you I'm are you excited. familiar at all with with Tin Tin? I know that it's. Got, not, I, mean, I knew what it was. Yeah, it's I, got I, a dog. I barely know. Is that what you were going to say? <laughs> I know that it's got a dog in it. Uh, no, I know nothing about oh, it because I knew it had a dog in it. Okay, um, no, it's a series of books or maybe comics. I don't know. Yeah, yeah uh, I don't know. Yeah. But it's very popular among some people, it's, and I know it's very popular with Peter Jackson because it's it's more popular in English speaking parts of the world other than America than mm-hmm. it is here. That, that's the impression that I get. We don't have any patience for that bullshit. Uh, apparently not. Um, no, but it, uh, it, it looks fun. Uh, I, I could see it being good. And Steven Spielberg seems super cool, and I'll tell you why, because he said one thing in particular. He said that um, if he makes a movie that his fans don't like, he likes that they are on the internet talking about how they don't like it. They take him to task, and it keeps him honest. Nice. Uh, that, was, that was awesome. That was a good thing to hear. Let me ask you a question, because I know that... Uh, I, I might be spoiling something here. Uh, I believe you also went to the Francis Ford Coppola thing, right? Uh-huh. Okay. So yeah, we'll get to that. So in a few, it, within a few days, okay, you were in a, this was Hall H, I assume? Yeah. Okay. So you were in, you were amongst 6,500 people, but basically you were in the same room as Steven Spielberg. Now, I realize that even phrasing it like that sounds nerdy, but here's... It, it, and I mean this more than just nerd, you know. I mean, like, from a film lover's point of view, Steven Spielberg is seems somehow unattainable. He is the director that we all know about. Yeah. And do you know what I mean? He's almost a concept at this point. Yeah. And uh, um, I say this about Comic-Con every year. What's amazing about it is not only that, yes, I'm there in the same room as Steven Spielberg, but also because everyone in that room bought their ticket to Comic-Con, not mm-hmm. a ticket to see Steven Spielberg. Right. He came because they were there. Yeah. Because we were there. Because the fans were there. And that's what Comic-Con is about to me. That's why it's so special to me. Mm-hmm. Because it's five days where we get to at least get the illusion that we have some sort of power. <laughs> you know? Uh, and it really does. It, it brings Steven Spielberg down. And he says things like, take me to task because it keeps me honest. You know? That's, that doesn't happen everywhere, anywhere else. It just seems like such a fascinating idea where and we've had okay like on a much lower level i am fascinated at the idea that we've had maurice lamarche on the show maurice lamarche is to me a huge deal yeah steven tobolowski is a huge deal like there's a there's a number of guests that we've had that i'm like i can't believe i'm talking to this person right now yeah your paul f tompkins is you got your paul f tompkins you got your doug jones you got your lorraine newman's like they're yeah. oh, like man. jimmy like you know other podcasters as well like jimmy pardo and stuff but what fascinates me is like and josh again, fadum J- josh fadum Have you seen by the way listeners uh variety puts out a yearly list of 10 comics to watch and our friend Josh Fadum was on the list. That's very exciting. Good yeah, for him. I'm I very, didn't know that. very excited for him. Who else is on the list? Anyone we've we've had? I don't think anyone we've had, although I could be wrong, but other good comics. Okay. Let's try and get them too. Okay. I like to start out early with people and then I can <laughs> I can uh, just Cuz I think we've had people like in past years like I think Wyatt Sinek was on yep. that list after he had been on. Yeah. Jen our Kirkman show. I believe was on on one I think like Entertainment Weekly's like oh, okay. up and uh, up and comers list. But um so the it just it, it is fascinating. I, I guess I, I'm sort of repeating myself at this point. Just the idea of 
Steven Spielberg, because you, you said like you like him as a director, but now you actually see him as a person and yeah. his willingness. And what I like about Comic Con is that in many sen- in many ways, it is the positive part of the internet incarnate, which is uh-huh. it brings from a, from an artistic standpoint, it brings artists and audience together. Whereas there's always been a disconnect, and and don't get me wrong, I do think there should be a certain degree of disconnect yeah. because you want to view their films on their own, you yeah, know, very much on their own level. But not, but, but you know, that's that's for the other 360 days a year, right? And ju- it's I don't know, like mutual love and admiration, and we want his movies to be the best, and he wants us to like his movies, and so he'll try to make them well, and and in that moment, him saying him. As you say, coming to you guys face to face, not uh, you know, not via satellite or something like that, like that stuffy Ridley Scott who can't jump on a plane. Uh, like <laughs> it's uh, he was in the middle of shooting. Actually, um, yeah, that's fine. I guess. Dan Middleoff did a thing where he brought brought up like a Google map to show like here's San Diego and here's Reykjavik, Iceland, mm-hmm. and then it goes to a map of Iceland and he's like so. From flying into Reykjavik, here's the where Ridley Scott has to take a train to, and then where he has to take a helicopter to to get to where they're shooting. So he went to great lengths to prove to us that he was in a really not only was he in Iceland, but he was like on the other side of Iceland. Eh, build a set anyway. So I'm <laughs> joking, of course. That's ridiculous. But uh, but yeah, and so I like the idea. It's a combination. It's it's what you're saying that they come to you in order to communicate how important you are to them. And we have all, and we are in seeing their movies and getting them to the level that they are now. We've communicated how much we appreciate them mm-hmm. and how much they mean to us. And I like that in that moment, it, it all comes together. It's like I don't know. It's this is really silly. It seems not silly, but it's almost a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is a beautiful thing. So anyway, I I wouldn't say almost. I love Comic Con. Like I, I know there are other people who go there as press, and I don't really do the press press thing, but a little bit. Uh, you know, I go there and I cover it, but I don't go to all the press mm-hmm. stuff. And there are people who like are jaded about Comic Con, and that makes me wait. It just makes me so sad. That's unfortunate. Comic Con is a beautiful place, <laughs> but it, if I had, I've also said if I had to do. You know, our friend Dave Chen from Slash Film stopped going a couple years ago. And Mm -hmm. if I had to do Comic-Con the way that he has to do it, I probably wouldn't go either. Yeah. You know? I like being able to go as an observer, and I can still use the podcast to report on it uh, Mm -hmm. and get things out to people. But um, I don't have to go wait in line for the press, like roundtables or what have you. Uh, I'm glad I don't have to do that. All right. Uh, Also on Friday, Relativity Media's panel... Um, which I stayed for after Spielberg, specifically to see Steven Soderbergh, who was there. Oh, yeah. Um, he's got a movie called Haywire. It was written by Lem Dobbs, so that's a good sign. I like Lem Dobbs. Here's what's not a good sign about it. Okay. Most of everything else. Oh. Basically, here's how the movie came to be. Steven Soderbergh was watching MMA, or UFC, fighting. Okay, I'm already on, uh, I'm already uh, Where? upset. Yeah. And I guess there's a female MMA fighter named Gina Carano. Okay, yeah, Gina. And he said to himself, what a dynamic personality. Someone should make a movie around her. And then he met with her, and then he called Lem Dobbs and said, here's this woman. Let's write a mo- Let's make a movie around her. And so you've got what seems to be a... Is she playing herself? No. She's playing a spy. It's sort of like a born identity type of thing. Uh, not a born identity, because there's no amnesia. Basically, she's a spy that was set up by the people she works for, and then... 
has to avenge or whatever. And um, it seems... Is she an MMA fighter in the film? No, she's a spy in okay. the film. So when he says, let's make a movie about her... No, around her. Around her. Yeah. Okay, I misheard. I'm yeah, sorry. not about her. Because I was like, that's very... Does she use the MMA thing as a cover? No, there's no okay, MMA in the film. I mean, there's well, lots I have of to fighting. There's plenty, yeah. Yeah. Um, it looks like a thing that came together really quickly. But on the other <laughs> hand, which is not a good sign, on the other hand, Steven Soderbergh and Lem Dobbs, a great cast. I'm going to forget some of them. But it's, apart from her, um, Channing Tatum, Michael Fassbender, Ewan McGregor, uh, Bill Paxton, um, there's, there's more that I'm forgetting because it's mm. a really good cast. Um, but it looks like it, it looks like it might just be a sort of episodic type thing where everyone that I just named, she fights one at a time <laughs> over the course of 90 minutes. Um, now I'm being very dismissive here because them talking about it and the trailer they showed didn't get me excited except for cast wise. Mm-hmm. But I will say the one scene they showed, the full scene they showed was probably the coolest thing that I saw at Comic-Con in okay. terms of just footage. It was the, uh, you know, there's, like I said, it's a series of fight scenes. It was the entirety of the Gina Carano, Michael Fassbender fight scene. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome. It was, uh, uh, here's something that I, I talked about, uh, talking with, um, Tim Buell from golden briefcase. Something that he pointed out, like there's this post born post Paul Greengrass tendency to shoot action, hand to hand combat, like handheld mm-hmm. and jittery, but Soderbergh stays true to himself and Soderbergh and in a Soderberghian way, he uh, keeps the camera still. It's a series of shots that are still. The camera doesn't move. Mm-hmm. There's lots of cuts, but not they're not super fast cuts. Like they're there's full shots. Mm-hmm. The camera is still uh, moving. You know, it takes place throughout this hotel room as they these two are just beating the ever loving shit out of each other. Okay, and it is really realistic looking and very brutal looking. Okay. Uh, and I liked it a lot. Well, you know, it's... Oh, and there's a part... Um, I'll tell the story that Steven Soderbergh told. There's a part where Michael Fassbender throws Gina Carano up against the wall, and then she reaches for a shelf, grabs a vase, and smashes it over his head. Mm-hmm. And I guess they um, rehearsed it. You know, they wanted to have the actors do as many of their own stunts as possible. Obviously, Gina Carano can do her own stunts for the most part, because she's a fighter. But uh, So they Michael Fassbender wanted to be in there so they could shoot... See, you know, actually see him getting hit over the head. So they had rehearsed it, and the stunt guys kept like training him, and they were saying like, "What's going to happen? You know, is when she reaches for that vase, your instinct is going to be to look at it. Don't look at it mm-hmm. because she's about to smash it. So if you look right. at it, she's going to smash it in your face. So I guess they rehearsed it a bunch of times. It always went fine. First take, day of shooting, she reaches for the vase, he looks at it, she smashes the vase right in Michael Fassbender's face, Ugh. and that's the take that's in the movie. Nice. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Um, yeah, it actually, it's it sounds like it's got potential. I, there's enough there, aside from the idea of someone saying, like, this fighter is a dynamic personality, we, we should build, build a movie around her. Aside from that, which bothers me on principle, but at the same time... She might be a dynamic personality. It's Steven Soderbergh saying it, and I, I, he's a filmmaker whose instincts I trust. Uh, it's got a great cast and and a good screenwriter. I feel like it could be really good. There's one... Uh, the, like I said, I didn't like the trailer, but I love the way the trailer starts off, which is her sitting in a diner, and then Channing Tatum walks in and sits down and is like, 
he sent me to come get you. You're supposed to come with me. Mm-hmm. And for all you know, this is like some sort of sibling spat or, right. or boyfriend and girlfriend thing because she's just sitting there sort of like slouched or whatever and he's supposed to like take her with him. And then, again, like brutal, he just whacks her over the head with a ketchup bottle. And like because if you were to sit in the theater and not know this is an action movie, mm-hmm. that scene like that would shock you to see Channing Tatum hit a woman over the head with a ketchup bottle seemingly yeah. unprovoked and then from there it got kind of stupid but i like the, i like the i'm i'm looking forward to the realism and brutality of the fighting it you know as strange as it sounds it reminds me of the movie unleashed uh, just just as far as uh, your description of right. just br- like really brutal violence that is still stylistic but it's not weightless people bouncing off the walls like every Every punch, every time they hit the floor, like a concrete floor, you feel it. And the the idea, the story sounds like it could be possibly ridiculous, but as long as it's it knows what it is, yeah. and as long as it's done with a stylistic flourish, which is really that's the unpardonable sin. Not that that like a movie like this has a ridiculous concept, but that like there's no style to it. Right, because these mo- movies like that are all style, and I feel like Soderbergh is a stylish enough director that I'm I'm optimistic. Speaking of ridiculous concepts, okay, the second half of the Relativity Media panel. Have you heard of this movie that takes place in Baltimore over the last five days of Edgar Allan Poe's life? Is it with John, uh, John Cusack? John Cusack plays Edgar Allan Poe. It's called The Raven, and okay. it's all a fiction, like, because Edgar Allan Poe did sort of disappear for a few days, which was mm-hmm. not unlike him. He would go on benders and disappear mm-hmm. for a few days, but this one ended in him with him, ended up with him dead okay. in the gutter wearing someone else's clothes, uh, famously. Um, but this isn't a, what would be interesting, a fictional biopic exploring what might have happened to him over the last few days of his life. This is a dumb, dumb murder mystery thing where there's some serial killer in Baltimore who's uh, murdering people in murders that are based on things that Edgar Allan Poe has written. So the cops, like, come and take him along. Uh, the person moderating the panel said what I almost thought was blasphemous. Because <laughs> he compared it to Jaws in that there was, like, that essentially that Edgar Allan Poe is like the Richard Dreyfus, Which I guess in the basest, like, most basic way... That's true. That is the setup. That it's, there is a cop like Roy Scheider, played by I don't know his name. He's going to be in the Hobbit, and then there's the expert, and like Richard Dreyfus, played by, uh, inhabited by uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Other, other than that, I, I almost want to like just stand up and go, no, no, <laughs> you do not compare these movies. <laughs> it looks awful. You better get you better get a quint in there. Otherwise, I have no patience for you. Yeah. And again, the thing I talked about, like, I talked about Andy Serkis, um, if it were the movie that John Cusack were describing during the panel, yeah, he clearly did a lot of research into Poe, you know, like, read everything and, like, had all these sort of ideas about how he, like, uh, um, he, he, like, what was the word? I can't remember what the word is that John Cusack used, but he had this idealized affectation or idealized affection, I should say, for uh, for women, and it was all about his relationship to women. And I was mm-hmm. like, "That's that's a really interesting movie. Someone should yeah. write that movie." Uh, yeah, about, as it is about Edgar Allan Poe. That, but this just—it's really stupid. As it is, it has a. The idea of, of, like, okay, well, there's a lot of murders based on uh, your stories, so clearly you're the person to solve it. No, he's not. 
He's a fiction writer. Yeah. Like it's and an occasional poet. Yeah. He's like, uh, yeah, I just made that shit up. There was no real meaning to it. I just thought it would make a good story, and it did. No. Like I really have no like Hooper in Jaws is an expert on sharks and has swam with them and has been like bitten by like eels and, so, and like and he's been scraped by sharks like he has a lot of experience with that as opposed to the guy who just comes up with stuff and drinks <laughs> uh, like i really shouldn't i feel like this cop should be f- this cop should be fired for bringing me in on this investigation <laughs> i have no business being here i am as we all know a hopeless drunk yeah <laughs> yeah yeah anything Really, the cop just needs to read the stories, and yeah. that's all he'll get. Everything that like uh, it's it's different than like the Devil's Rejects, where I didn't see that. Okay, well, it's there's a there's a, a conceit to it that's kind of interesting, which is that like these guys are 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 killing people, and they seem to have some sort of not so much a theme of the Marx Brothers, but that but that seems to be uh, an obsession of of these characters, and. Um, and so the sheriff brings in a film critic to advise because he's filling in, like, what could possibly happen in a very abstract sense. And it's like, <laughs> okay, that's ridiculous, but, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Also, but it's also kind of... Now maybe I'll see this movie. Yeah, maybe give it a shot. I don't know. I was talking I've talk, I've talk about how much I like the brutality of Haywire. Mm-hmm. That's because there's a, it's, like, realistic and honest. I still balk at sadism. And I should specify, by the way, it occurred to me, I, I've given the impression that I have seen The Devil's Rejects. Oh, you haven't? Good God, no. Okay. Uh, the level of violence of, of Rob Zombie is... And I heard, I've heard great things about The Devil's uh, yeah, Rejects. I've heard it's a good movie. I just said, I don't think I could I don't think do I it. can... Yeah. And, and part of me is like, oh, why couldn't you have made a less brutal film? Because that idea sounds delightful to me. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Uh, we will end then. That was Friday. Saturday was a big TV day for me, so the only movie thing I saw was maybe the craziest, awesomest thing I've ever seen at Comic-Con, which was... Someone getting stabbed in the eye. No, I didn't see that. I saw them get carted off last year. Okay. I was in Hall H when it happened. I'm so lucky to have been there. (laughs) Um, But I didn't see the person get stabbed. Um, No, this was Francis Ford Coppola's new movie, Twixt. Okay. Um... Which stars Val Kilmer and Bruce Dern and Elle Fanning and Tom Waits. Um, and none of that's important because the movie isn't really the thing here. Let me ask you this. How terrified is Elle Fanning in, during the filming of that movie? <laughs> it's just like, hey. Surrounded by crazy Bruce, old yeah, men. Bruce Dern's freaking me out. Hey, Tom Waits, can you. Oh, wait. <laughs> what, what have I done? Um, well, I will say, you know. Of the three people up on stage, up on the dais during this panel, Val Kilmer was the most normal acting. It was Francis Ford Coppola, Val Kilmer, and Dan Deacon. I don't know if you know who that is. Um, no. He's a musician, I guess, a sort of electronic, electronica, I okay. guess. Electronica is a word that no one has used since 1999. <laughs> <laughs> um, electronic. Uh, trip hop? Is, is he into trip hop? <laughs> <laughs> trip hop is my favorite thing because uh I th- trip hop is to music what mumblecore was to movies like a loose grouping of things that kind of sounded alike so music critics or in the case of mumblecore like film critics came up with a name to 
corral them together but anyone who would actually call themselves a trip-hop artist is probably fucking terrible and anyone who sets out to make a mumblecore movie yeah oh yeah with that in mind is probably terrible so yeah (laughs) i like a lot of music that gets called trip-hop but it's just a it's the dumbest thing uh like mumblecore i like a lot of movies that are mumblecore but anyway uh so yeah dan deacon and here's what let me try to explain well, no, I'll, I'll explain technically what's going on. Okay. There's this movie, Twixt, that's about... Um, Val Kilmer plays a, a writer who's sort of a... I think Bruce Dern even refers to him as a low-rate Stephen King. Bruce Dern's character, mm-hmm. a low-rate Stephen King, who is doing a book signing and so he's doing like a book signing tour and he's stopped in the bookstore at some small town. It, it's a bookstore slash hardware store, which is kind of a funny like uh, right. touch that I liked. Um, and then he... Bruce Dern plays the police chief and, like, clues him into some weirdness in the town and a serial killer and says... What's the over-under on Bruce Dern's character being corrupt? (laughs) Uh, Or the murderer. Um, (laughs) Or both. He could be both. Uh, And the idea is Bruce Dern says, I want you to stay in town and help me write a book about this serial killer. And so then he finds out all kinds of weird stuff. And uh, weirdly enough, Edgar Allan Poe's in this one, too. Okay. Val Kilmer has dream sequences in which Ben Chaplin... Uh, okay. Plays Edgar Allan Poe and seems to be doing a more interesting job of it than John Cusack. Um, but again, this is still all about the movie. Okay. That's not really the point. The movie's going to come out. Uh, maybe you'll see, maybe you won't. But what also is going to happen, apparently, is there's going to be a 30 city tour. Francis Ford Coppola and Dan Deacon are going to be bringing the movie. And there's this sort of software that Francis Ford Coppola has where he's broken down. On, it's like he can access it via like his iPad. He's got the entire movie broken down into scenes, and there are different versions of scenes, and essentially, or you know, different lengths of scenes, and essentially, he can be editing the movie live as he's showing it to you and reading the audience and saying, "Oh, maybe they'll want the funnier version of this scene, or maybe they'll want the longer version." And Dan Deacon will be live composing the score to the movie while it happens. It could be awesome. It could be awesome. Um, it's a cool idea. But yeah. what happened was they showed like this seven or eight minute promo um, that had uh, Tom Waits narrating and a bunch of stuff. And then he had the promo on the software. And so they gave us a taste of it. And it was most of the panel was just him playing around, putting shit in weird order, and Dan Deacon making weird music. And I guess he's, there's some songs he's composed. And one of them, for those who don't know Dan Deacon's music, there's there's a lot of chanting. It's sort of a recurring thing in his music. Um, but in a, in a fun way, actually. It's, it's very fun music. Um, but he has a song that apparently is called Nosferatu is Dead that for a section of it just has voices going Nosferatu, Nosferatu. And uh, so this actually happened. They're like showing the movie. It's not making any sense because it's like all out of order, this promo. And then Francis Ford Coppola is picking up the mic and singing Nosferatu. <laughs> <laughs> like, talk about being in the same room as steven spielberg i'm not in the same room as Francis for coppola and he's like trying to rap <laughs> yeah it's you're in the same room as let's all be honest apocalypse now uh francis for coppola just yeah. really but it also was i mean i'm, I'm talking about I mean, that was the the craziest stuff but it also was crazy in that uh there was no moderator it was just francis for coppola like half of it was lecture but really interesting like you don't expect uh, those who know anything about Francis Ford Coppola in his real life know that he's a classical music nut. He loves mm-hmm. classical music. His father was a conductor. Um, 
And he's like giving. He and Dan Deacon are like co-presenting this like impromptu lecture on the history of music and commerce and how uh, different media of music delivery and different commerce elements shaped the way of music. And like, you know, uh, I can't remember who said. Maybe David Ehrlich or someone on Twitter said um, something he'd never expected to hear from a panel at Comic-Con as Francis Ford Coppola turned to Dan Deacon and say, explain to them about Travinsky, will you? (laughs) And then Dan Deacon goes on to talk about how when music started coming out on records, on LPs, Travinsky started composing, especially writing uh, music at the length that it would fit on one side of an LP. So he was just... The whole thing was about how commerce changes art and how delivery media change art. Yeah. Uh... It was a fascinating, awesome panel and also had the weirdest stuff. Something that actually could uh, apply to our discussion about uh, watching television and, and television spoilers and yeah. new media and that sort of thing. Yeah. I'm sorry, I just thought of that. No, that's true. Um, it was so awesome. I'm so glad that I got to see it because it was a crazy thing. And, and you, you Val Kilmer didn't really do anything. <laughs> sort of well, what could you there. do? Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's interesting because, and I'm glad that you went into as much detail as you did about the project because... All I had heard about was how crazy an experience it was. And it sounds crazy, to be sure, but it also sounds invigorating in a way that, again, I've only been to one Comic-Con, and I, even then I didn't go to a whole lot of panels. Um, but based on what you've told me about panels in the past, and what I hoped pan- the panels would be last year, because I'd never gone before, is it winds up being about more than just, here's a nerdy thing I'm doing. Or not, right, not here's nerdy. What got coming out. Here's what I've, yeah. Here's this kind of goofy thing. It's it winds up being this exploration of something even deeper, something that I feel like Francis Ford Coppola can't help but explore. Um, it's one of the things I think. May, one of the reasons that I think he's a a good filmmaker, but a great artist. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, he has instincts that are really fascinating to me, and this idea. So it sounds like he has scenes all, that are already cut but just different ver- like one scene and like five yeah. different pre-cut versions of that scene is that the deal Possibly, I, mean, I, I don't know I mean it looked like because uh, what we saw was just like the promo okay and some longer versions so I don't know if he had the whole movie there because some of those ju- those just seemed like longer shots but okay. some of them also seemed like longer scenes I'll talk about before we wrap up to give Valkumar credit um, the, the awesomest thing in the promo that he showed, um, and there was a longer version he showed during the craziness, um, was Valkumar's character trying to start a new novel and trying to write the first sentence, and it's this long montage of him trying to come up with things to say, and there's only two shots, I mean, there are two repeated shots, it's either the camera looking out from the computer at, or I guess three, there's the camera looking out from the computer directly at Valkumar, there's a shot of the computer the words on the computer and there's a shot a occasional shot of him refilling his glass with scotch <laughs> and it's a long montage of him just i clearly most of it was just made up by, by val kilmer at mm-hmm. the time him just trying to think of things to say um and getting drunker and i don't even want to spoil any of it because it's it's so funny and so much it depends on his performance and him doing weird voices <laughs> and like surprising himself with the voices like he starts talking he's like i'm trying to talk like an old man but he's like suddenly i'm 
a black basketball player from the 60s. Oh, wait, and I'm gay. (laughs) (laughs) So he's doing, if you can imagine the voice of a gay black basketball player from the 60s, that's the voice that he's trying to do. And there's all kinds of little stuff like that that was just uh, very funny. And so I'm glad Francis Ford Coppola is letting Val be Val. That's oh, that's that's what we all should do yeah. in this life. It sounds really interesting, especially because what it really sounds like is a mixture of theater, and when I say theater, I mean a dramatic performance as well as a musical performance, and film. Because in theater, actors especially can feed off of the audience, and they can tell like what they should be playing up, what they should be playing down. Um, you know, what, like with laugh lines or, or whatever. And so it, the idea of being able to sort of edit on the fly and then uh-huh. compose music on the fly, again, it sounds like it could be crazy and be an absolute disaster, but it also, it's it's experimental and fun. Here's what I'm saying. If they're going to do a 30-city tour, I'm going to try and go see it toward the back end of the 30 cities <laughs> i don't want to be there night one or maybe i do want to be there night one and and just see everything kind of go wrong on the first try oh okay so you're saying it because you want to see it polished up yeah, yeah. oh i thought you meant i want to see these guys after doing this <laughs> right. uh and just being exhausted and even crazier and i have no I, he'll probably have another heart attack uh <laughs> no you know what i'd love actually no, he had a they, breakdown it was uh it was Martin oh, Sheen oh, who had the oh, heart attack. Yeah. And Robert Altman had a heart attack. Oh, okay. <laughs> Nothing to do with the apocalypse now. Right, right. Francis Ford Coppola was describing it on the phone, and Robert Altman's like, I don't think I could... Ah! <laughs> um, no, what I'd like to do, honestly, with a 30-city tour, I'd love to go to the first and last and see yeah. how it changes. Anyway, that was my Comic-Con this year. We've already gone an hour and 20 minutes here. Oh, okay. So um, that was all the movie stuff i saw the rest of it was tv stuff and shopping and drinking and uh friends and good times and food and all that well david i'm sorry i couldn't be there as we all know i always uh enhance a drinking experience uh (laughs) with my judgment yeah but uh but yeah so it sounded like a, a lot of fun and it with Spielberg being there, and especially with Coppola being there, it really yeah. sounds like... Yeah, Coppola the, was the third of the three, That, by the way. of the main, I said there are three directors that I like as directors and mm-hmm. now like as people. Okay, yeah. Ridley Scott, Spielberg, and Coppola. Soderbergh didn't make the cut. Ah, I can so see like him that. as a director. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it, I, I could see him being a, either a really awesome guy or just totally insufferable. But... Uh-huh. It really sounds like, like I don't know, the tone of Comic-Con was different this year, especially with, with the Coppola thing, which, again, it sounded like people were dismissing as just straight-up crazy because it sounded like it was. But but also just from an artistic standpoint, like having... Re- I almost said real directors. That, that, that sounds wrong. But like having huge directors mm-hmm. that, like I said, when you think... Like Spielberg might as... He's... Like those guys from the seventies, like a Scorsese, like a Coppola, that are just more. Even to something as big as Comic Con, you never think like, well, these guys will, sh- these guys would never show up, right? Right. And then they do, and so it gives it legitimacy. But also the kind of thing that it sounds like Coppola was talking about, he sort of changed the type of conversation that was had. It sounds like, which I don't know. It sounds really interesting, and I, I'd like to see. It'd be really fascinating if it were to change mm-hmm. more and go more in that direction because 
and this this is me maybe trying to you know reinterpret what I would like Comic-Con to be but if it were to be this too much then it wouldn't be what it is and what it is is something I enjoy and so but the idea of like there being panels and like some of them are of course uh, you know promoting something but then some of them are more just a celebration of a th- of a thing or a, or a specific genre or something like that I don't know mm-hmm. just yeah there's a of- lot of both I mean, there always has been but uh the latter ones you're talking about take place in much smaller rooms, usually. Yeah, and um, I guess maybe just a gen- like a, lar- a much larger changing of of the tone. Yeah, of the panel sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. Well, the, yeah, this year was a blast. Um, so I will see, I'll see you there next year. Absolutely, I will see you, the listener, there next year. Every one of you should try and come out. It'd be a lot of fun. You should probably start uh, hitting refresh on your computers now for when tickets go on sale in February, <laughs> because you will probably get shut out. Um. Yeah, it's pretty uh pretty difficult to get tickets. Sadly. Uh, before we uh, sign off, I did want to say a couple things. First off, uh, special thanks to Mike Kaplan uh, from a couple weeks ago now. Yeah. For being on the show, that was a lot of fun. And then also, you can hear David and myself on separate episodes of the Sa- of Sound on Sight podcast B sides specifically. Right, they're is what doing it's a called. special series on the Harry Potter movies. They did four episodes two mm-hmm. movies per episode you were on the second episode yes i talked about prisoner Prison- of azkaban and goblet of fire and i was they saved the best for last i was on the fourth episode talking about deathly hallows parts one and two it was a lot of fun for me i know you said some other things off mic about how you didn't really enjoy it i just <laughs> uh, i just don't you know like Look, if you're gonna say that about yeah, me yeah yeah I, it was uh, it was good for the goose it was good for the gander the difference um, though is that i feel like Saying that about like the sound inside people are super nice, yeah, but they they're also like fans of the show, and oh, so right. <laughs> if, if we were to actually say that, I could see them like getting really dejected and really crushed. No, uh, Tyler didn't say anything off mic. That was entirely me uh, busting his chops. <laughs> um, and then I was also on um, Rudy and West's podcast, the Autour Cast. Mm-hmm. They do. Um, it's Rudy, formerly of the Criterion Cast, and West Anthony, friend of the show, who mm-hmm. was here for the Bernard Herman um, episode, and also does the Radio Radio Conrad podcast. Um, they do a podcast I've been going for a little while now, where they pick a director at a time, and they do one episode per film of that director. Mm. And so they had, they started with Tarantino, um, and then they did Christopher Nolan, and I guess they do like a wrap up episode at the end. And I was there. I wasn't there for any of the individual Nolan episodes, but I was there. They didn't for bring you the, in for uh, Inception. I think Rudy kind of wanted to, but I, w- I would rather, despite all appearances, I would rather not be known as the guy who hated Inception. <laughs> yeah. Um, though I did. I, don't forget that for a second. Well, now, I now you like you it. will also be known as the guy who loved Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Okay. So, but that's just everyone. those two. Everyone things, who listens to this show loves Scott Pilgrim, <laughs> probably. Um. Anyway, that was a lot of fun. Check that out, the Autour cast. Um, also, any, any questions for Pilar Alessandra oh, would yeah. be great. Um, we haven't, I haven't gotten as many as I'd hoped. Um, just a few would be great. Just any uh, relationship or sex advice questions. We'll find a way to tie into movies that will be part of the challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Pilar, I mean, th- this is half just an excuse for you and me, Tyler, to spend more time with Pilar. She's a delight. She is a delight. Um, but yeah, send her in. You get to spend more time with her over the airwaves oh, or yeah. the podcast waves. She's got a good voice. Oh yeah. Um, 
Too bad about her face, though. Because yeah. <laughs> Pat Francis threw hot coffee in it, and uh, <laughs> man, oh man, it's really unfortunate. All right, so that's it. Yeah. All caught up. Comic-Con was great. Uh, we'll be, we're going to do another episode this week to catch up since we took a week off from regular episodes. So Indeed. in just a few days, you'll be able to hear that. Okay. So thank you for listening. Oh, do you want me to do the whole thing? Yeah. All right. You can find us at BattleshipRetention.com or in iTunes. You can email me, David, at BattleshipRetention.com or email Tyler, Tyler, at BattleshipRetention.com. Uh, what do I usually say after that? I took a week off and I've forgotten. Uh, uh, or you can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash the pretension, or follow Tyler on Twitter at twitter.com slash more lessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at more than one lesson.com or on iTunes. And you can find my other podcast, the weekly television review show, previously on at previouslyonshow.com or in iTunes. Oh, boy. All right, so uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed this episode, and there's another one coming soon, so be on the lookout for that. Thanks, everybody. Ev- thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.